Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fantasy for the Ages, the father and son podcast talking about fantasy and sci-fi fiction and other nerdy stuff we want to spend time talking about. Today, I'm back with another of our Just Jim episodes, working through the Dresden Files. You know, likely, because this isn't your first time with us, that Zach and I are working together through the Wheel of Time. And then we do other episodes periodically on things that we have both enjoyed. But the Dresden Files is something he hasn't read yet. But I'm all the way through and loved it, so I'm continuing to bring standalone episodes me, standing alone, just Jim, to share with you my thoughts as I review each book. And today we're up to book seven, Deadbeat. <laughs> what a good book. More about that in just a moment. As always, here in our show, we like to let you know uh, what we're drinking. And there's only me today, but, you know, Dresden Files is such a classic show that I decided to go with a classic drink. And so I have for myself here simply a Long Island iced tea. There are different recipes of Long Island iced teas. Mine is available on our Instagram if you go way back in the feed. Or come join us on Discord. And we have a channel just for drink recipes. And you'll find it there too. But I'll give you the goods right here and now anyways. My Long Island is one part vodka, one part gin, one part rum, white rum, one part white tequila, one part triple sec, two parts sour mix, and then top it off with cola, Coca-Cola, Diet Coke, Pepsi, whatever you prefer. But that's where the color comes from. Everything else is clear. There's not much Coke in it then. Sour mix has a little bit yellow, but you combine the colors of the Coke and the sour mix and voila, it's iced tea. Long Island style. That's my go-to cocktail when I'm just going to have something for myself, for pleasure. I'll try all sorts of other cocktails. And again, you can learn about many of those on our Discord server or many of our Wheel of Time episodes. I'll create a Wattail. So check those out. And as always, I'll point to the show notes here. You can find all the ways to connect with us, like how to join our Discord server, how to find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, our email address. And even if you find that you're enjoying the content here and you want to support us to help us pay for all of this, because we don't charge you, but there is a cost to hosting the podcast and the equipment, uh, all these things that uh, we've paid for to make sure we can bring this to you. If you want to support us so we can keep it up, just kind of defray the cost a little bit, find us on Patreon. And there are some extra benefits that come with anybody who supports us on Patreon, such as attending live recordings. This one I'm doing midweek at an odd time for us because I'm on vacation. I've got some time to catch up on some episodes. So there's nobody in the Discord with me. I'm in Discord. I'm recording it here, but I'm also on our Discord server right now. And maybe a patron will bop in. Our usual recording times are on Saturdays or Sunday afternoons, sometimes the morning, or maybe we'll slip one in late on a Friday, but this is actually happening on a Wednesday. Nobody knows to look for us on a Wednesday, so I don't think we'll see anybody here, but if we do, I'll give them a shout out. All right, uh, what else to note? Oh, well, I do want to remind you also, besides supporting us by becoming a Patreon supporter, you can simply like the video. 
You can share it with your friends. You can tell people, hey, I found this podcast I'm enjoying and spread the word. Uh, we just like knowing we're bringing a little entertainment to more and more people. So help us out that way. And we really appreciate it. Now, as to this episode, as we work through book seven of the Dresden Files, be warned. I'm going to fully spoil this book. If you haven't read it, this is the wrong show to be listening to because you won't have much reason to read it after I've talked about it unless you just enjoy a good reread, which many of us do. So I will fully spoil this book and I'll make references to things from the previous books. But no spoilage of books eight and further. So if you haven't made it to those yet, you are perfectly safe to spend a little time with me here today. So speaking about previous books, I mentioned in my review of book six, Blood Rites, that we didn't really get any new types of supernatural characters or setup in that book. Uh, we just had the world of the Dresden Files broadened and deepened. I mean, we certainly learned some key revelations about Harry's mother, about the fact that the white court vampire Thomas is Harry's half-brother. Uh, we learned a, a great deal more about the white court vampires, how that works, um, how they're just people until the demon within them is triggered. And uh, that was pretty cool. We learned more about the Black Court vampires as well. We'd met Mavra before the sorceress. Met her back in grave peril at that party Bianca, the Red Court vampire, was holding. And Mavra had been there and been a player in that. That's where we learned that she was also magical, a wizard. Well, sorceress. Black sorceress. So she's into the bad black magic. But uh, we saw her destroyed in our last book. And that was nice to see her and her people getting the raw end of the deal, the, the appropriate end of the deal when they try to make a move on Harry again. Because she'd survived grave peril. She came back to try to get him in our previous book. Uh, let's see. We also learned that in that situation that had happened, Harry had brought in friends, Murphy, Ebenezer, his teacher, patron, and Kincaid, who he hired, and in that whole debacle at the homeless shelter, Harry had managed to shield them from Mavra's massive attack, but ended up greatly injured. Remember, his whole left hand pretty much burned to a crisp. So we've seen that happen. And the big revelation that we had about Ebenezer McCoy was significant in our last book. He's not just some kindly senior wizard who took Harry in when he was a teenager, betrayed by his previous mentor, Justin de Mornay. Instead, he, well, he's been keeping secrets from Harry. So we learned that he was not just Harry's mentor, but he had been Harry's mother's mentor. She had apprenticed under Ebenezer, and he'd never told her that. He also knew that she had ended up with Lord Wraith, and that that white court king vampire had killed her. He knew that, hadn't told Harry. But the biggest of all is that we learned that Ebenezer was the Blackstaff, working for the White Council of Wizards as basically their trained hitman, their person with the license to kill, the one who can break the rules of magic whenever he deems it necessary for the good of wizard kind. He's the one that taught Harry right from wrong and how you must always do the right thing with magic. Uh, it must flow from pure sources. And then he's going around killing people. 
what? So the story ended with Harry breaking ties with Ebenezer. You're out. That part of my life is done. And welcoming Thomas into his house. His half-brother is now living in his apartment. Roommates. That's a lot of stuff we learned about people we already knew. In this book, we're going to deepen our knowledge and understanding, again, of some characters and aspects of the world we are already familiar with. But we do get some major supernatural development and new character types. Basically, Jim Butcher is going to introduce a very specific type of black magic, necromancy, something 100% forbidden by the White Council. Necromancy is, in this world, basically using black magic to revive the dead. Not to bring them back to life, but to turn them into super-powered, nigh-unstoppable zombies. Yes, zombies! You might know, I like zombies. I don't like these zombies. These things are nasty. We'll talk more about them in a little bit, but one thing I will mention right off the bat is that in the world Jim Butcher has created, zombies aren't just, uh, you know, dead, stupid things seeking people's brains. No, they're super-powered soldiers that necromancers use to do their bidding. And they are strong. They are fast. They're kind of like Terminators. They're really unstoppable. I mean, you have to pretty much blow them up to stop them. However, there is another way you can stop them because necromancy requires a beat. See, these creatures have no beat. They're hearts. They're done. No beat. To revive them, you have to give them magically a beat. And you literally must be beating something. You can have a little drum that you're beating a rhythm on. You're basically artificially, magically creating life into these things. And as long as that beat continues, so do the zombies. So if you want to stop a necromancer's attack of zombies, well, stop the beat. You got to find a way to get that drum or whatever rhythm is happening to come to an end. Because seriously... In the words of the immortal Gloria Estefan, the rhythm is gonna get ya. So we'll have some fun with that along the way in the story here for sure. Now this particular story is another example also of how some key characters come in and out of the stories of the Dresden Files. Some people, when I've listened to other reviews of these books, really take issue with Butcher's approach here. I mean, how can you have such important characters, and then in another book, they're just gone. I don't get that complaint, because to me, that's just more realistic. The entire world and all the people in it do not orbit around Harry Dresden. These books orbit around Harry Dresden, but he's got lots of people he knows, and they come in and out of his life at different times. They may not be in a book because they're off doing something else. They've got their own life, their own adventures, their own troubles, their own vacations. So as an example, one of the key characters we've met previously is Michael Carpenter, the Knight of the Cross. He's been involved in a couple of different key elements and stories with Harry. This book, nada. We don't have Michael at all. Then there was uh, Billy and the werewolves that we first met in Full Moon come up a couple of times. They're not in every book. They're back in this one. 
Now, they don't play a uh, massive role, but they do play a minor important role in this book. So it's nice to see Billy, his wife, Georgia. We don't see all the other werewolves, but we're going to see those two in this book. Another one, Lieutenant Karen Murphy, the head of special investigations with the Chicago Police Department. She's been a big part of some of the books. She hires Harry as a consultant. She's barely in this one at all. In fact, she's in very early in the book. She appears by phone only when she calls and arranges for Harry to watch her house because she's going on a trip. Literally, she's going on a vacation. So let me talk about that. She's going on vacation to Hawaii. Ever been to Hawaii? I love Hawaii. I've been only to Maui, but I've been there twice. Both times was relaxing, spectacular. I took my wife. It's a great place to go with your sweetheart. Murphy's going to Hawaii with a special friend. Sweetheart? Well, that might need to wait and see. She's going with Kincaid. Remember the paid assassin killer that Harry brought in in the last book? And he worked with Harry and Murphy to take down the Black Court vampires. And while they were working together, literally Murphy and Kincaid were flirting. Well, it's it's developed a little more. This is a year later from the events of the last book. And apparently they've continued to stay in touch. And now... Kincaid invited Murphy on a trip to Hawaii with him. Now, we all know that Harry is sort of sweet on Murphy. There's been a little bit of sexual tension, and it seems to be reciprocated by Murphy. She seems to like Harry. There's a growing interest, but nothing has progressed in that at all. The biggest reason is Harry still has his true love, Susan Rodriguez. Now, she's not in the picture at all right now. We haven't seen her in a couple of books. She's got that whole issue with the half-vampireness going on that she's trying to resolve in her life. But because he has her out there and he is still in love with Susan, he really can't bring himself to do anything with someone else. So he's not told Murphy how he feels. He hasn't taken any action at all leaving her completely a free agent, and off she goes with Kincaid now. Harry's clearly not thrilled. And you get the impression in the book that if he had said, you know, I wish you wouldn't go, that she wouldn't have gone. But he can't do it. He can't say it. So off she goes, and she's still going to play a significant role in the story, but not in person. We're not going to see much of Murphy at all. Let me give a quick setting of the scene now. How does this book actually start? Well, Harry is showing back up at his apartment, and it's a disaster zone. Why? Well, this is how we're discovering that his roommate, Thomas, is not really working out so well. I mean, it's great he has a brother now. That's wonderful. Family is very important to Harry. The fact that Thomas is family is the only reason he's still living with Harry, though, because Thomas is driving Harry nuts. Apparently, he's a slob. He has no ability to take care of himself. I mean, he's been a, a spoiled rich boy. He doesn't know how to take care of himself. He can't hold down a job. He's been fired multiple times, so he's not figured out a way to make a living for himself. Now, humorously, why does he keep losing jobs? Women keep throwing themselves on him. Women that are co-workers, women who are customers, women who are his boss. 
and he keeps ending up in highly inappropriate and compromising scenes, acts with these women, and the result is he is fired. Apparently, being a white court vampire, that that natural magnetism he has, and the fact that he's kind of hot, makes him irresistible, and women keep coming for him, and he can't stop it. He has not found a way to turn that off, to channel that. Of course, that's also how he feeds the emotions of women around him, so maybe he doesn't really want to turn it off? Nah. It's a point of tension, though. Harry needs Thomas to get his act together so he can move out and support himself, and Thomas doesn't seem to be trying hard enough, at least not in Harry's opinion. Now, a year ago... Thomas wasn't the only one who moved in with Harry. Harry got a dog, if you remember, that cute little gray furball, who he appropriately named Mouse. Well, a year later, that name is not so appropriate. Mouse the puppy is now Mouse the massive dog. Apparently, Tibetan temple dogs grow to be huge. They are guardians of a sort, and it seems that size matters for the job they do. Still, the name sticks, so you've got Mouse! Massive thing, with an adorable personality, and has turned out to be a great dog and companion for Harry. We're also going to learn that in this story, and it's setting the stage for the future stories, Mouse is not your average dog. It's not just that he's huge. He's a character, not just a pet. Mister has been a pet. Mouse is going to be a full character in the story. He's got some characteristics and traits that go beyond just being the average dog. And we get to see that. We saw a hint of it in the last book, when Mouse, even as a puppy, was able to detect Black Court vampires nearby. We're going to see more of his abilities come out in this book. So let's keep talking. Oh, speaking of Black Court vampires, Mavra is back in town for this book. Yeah, it turns out she apparently escaped that disaster at the homeless shelter, and they thought they killed her because she wanted them to think they'd killed her. She made it look like it. She faked her death so she could get away scot-free. Now she's back with an act of blackmail. She sends Harry some photos from that attack in the homeless shelter where Murphy was involved and they had to kill people. Now, remember, Murphy had been very hesitant about killing people, and Harry and Kincaid had explained that any people working with the Black Court vampires are better off dead because they are thralls. Their brains have been wiped clean, basically, and they are they live and do everything only for the Black Court vampires. They have no will of their own. They have no self anymore. So seeing that, when they are attacked, she shoots people. She shoots these thralls. It's a mercy kill. But now there's pictures of her doing this. Security cameras that caught her in the act. And Mavra is threatening to release these to the police, to the media. If Harry doesn't meet with her and then do what she's asking of him. Harry wants nothing to do with this, but he can't throw Murphy to the wolves. The only reason she was there was to help him. So he kind of has to explore this and see what can be done. If those photos get released, Murphy's job is over. Possibly her life in that she'll get sent to prison. I mean, it looks very incriminating. So 
he's going to get his hands dirty having to deal with Mavra. Ugh. What does Mavra want of him? Well, when he meets with her at the cemetery by his gravestone, she shares that she wants him to secure the Book of Kemmler and give it to her. Now, what's the big deal with this? Well, the Book of Kemmler has a whole bunch of uh, things about necromancy, this special form of black magic. Now, remember, Mavra is a black sorceress. So having information like that would be something she'd want. What can you do with the Book of Kemmler? Well, we'll find that out later in the story. There are more than one thing you can do with the Book of Kemmler. But there's a key thing that's going to be at the root of this story. Now, I should talk to you about Kemmler. Because apparently he wrote a book. <laughs> Kemmler was a wizard and a black wizard who was big, bold, and black. Like, everyone knew he was black. But he was so powerful, especially with necromancy, that no one could touch him. Oh, they tried. They tried multiple times, but he would always escape. He'd always get away and rise again. The White Council really had their hands full trying to take out Kemmler. And it appears they did finally get him back, I think, in the late 40s, mid-40s, somewhere around World War II. But Kemmler had a bunch of disciples who apprenticed under him, learned from him. And when they got Kemmler, the disciples scattered. So there are still followers, potentially, of Kemmler and his necromancy, uh, but they haven't been seen or heard from in quite some time. But now this book of Kemmler is around somewhere. Okay, you're on the job, Harry. Find the book. Of course, if he's got to do something like this and he has no information on it, one of the first things he'll do is go to his personal source of knowledge and information. Bob. Remember, Bob the Skull a spirit of knowledge, a spirit of intellect. Harry keeps Bob down in his lab underneath his apartment. So we have a scene now where he goes and he talks to Bob. Tell me about Kemmler and the book of Kemmler. And ooh, Bob does not want to talk about that. Okay, Bob usually won't shut up about things, but this, he does not want to talk about. But Harry presses. Come on, you know stuff about this. Tell me about it. Okay, well, it turns out Bob was previously owned by Kemmler. He was a spirit of intellect working for a black wizard. Now, Harry didn't get Bob from Kemmler. Harry got Bob from Justin, his previous master. And when he killed Justin in a, an act of self-defense, he took Bob with him. Okay, so Bob has been working with Harry ever since. Well, Apparently, Justin got Bob somehow from Kemmler or through someone else, but he had apparently early on maybe started out with Kemmler. So Bob doesn't want to talk about stuff. In fact, he has intentionally kind of disconnected himself from the information that he has about Kemmler. Harry won't let go, though, and he orders Bob to tell him everything he knows about Kemmler and his disciples and the Book of Kemmler and all that. Okay, and a switch flips, and good old cheerful orange-eyed Bob turns blue. Blue Bob. Blue evil Bob. And yeah, he tells him about some really nasty stuff, and in fact, he starts to, to do some nasty stuff. 
and it gets very scary and dangerous and then harry has to stop him and he he uses a trigger word that he gave him so that bob flips back to good bob Ooh, that was scary to see a bob that is clearly full-on evil bob we like bob we did not like evil bob and harry tells him okay don't bring that stuff out again. <laughs> Keep that locked away. Yes, that, that's a good thing. Don't listen to me anymore. We don't want Blue Bob. Okay. Uh, so Harry, now he has some information on Kemmler. He's going to need to do some investigating, figure some stuff out about this. We next see him go to visit Butters. Because one of the things that he learns from Bob is that if Kemmler's disciples are out there doing things, trying things, one of the things that may be involved is some freak deaths, some unexplained dead bodies, because those could be involved with rituals that the Kemmlerites might be involved with right now. So you want to know about freak dead bodies, you go visit the morgue and you meet with Butters. Now Butters, Waldo Butters, is a coroner's coroner, assistant coroner. I, I don't remember exactly, but he works for the coroner's office in the morgue. And we've met him before because he's the one that got kind of in trouble for acknowledging the supernatural while doing his job. Investigating bodies that were clearly vampires, he was able to say, these aren't human, and people didn't want to listen to that. He spent a little time in the funny farm because of that. He ended up back at his job but not in the primo position anymore. And he still knows, okay, there's more to the real world now than just what the official story wants it known. And that's how he knows Harry, through Murphy and the work they do with special investigations. Waldo is their guy. Well, when Harry comes in to talk with Butters here, uh, we get this hilarious scene. First off, he goes past the guy at security, Phil. Phil knows Harry. Phil knows Harry shouldn't just be walking into the morgue, but Harry knows how to get past Phil. He bribes him with beer. Not just any old beer, but Max Ale. And, uh, ooh, that's some special stuff. So, all right. Gives him a six-pack. Waves him by. Go ahead. And getting down into the, the room where Butters does his work, he sees something he did not expect. Butters is playing the polka. Not just playing polka, he's playing it on a one-man band contraption. Maybe you've seen some of these in a TV show or a movie. You know, you picture he's got a drum on his back, he's got cymbals, an accordion, you know, and this whole contraption where he's able to make polka music and keep a beat, drum a rhythm with his polka contraption. It's hilarious. But he's doing it, and Harry walks in on this, and, oh, kind of surprises Butters, and he puts his stuff down then and all, but apparently we learn Butters is a big Polka fan. Polka will never die. There's a big Polka event coming up soon. That's what he's practicing for. He's going to do his Polka thing. It's event. Fun to know this about Butters. Now, Butters has been helping Harry over the past year, and we learn that one of the things he's been doing is actually investigating Harry. Because he's got this interest in the supernatural, he knows Harry's into some weird things. And one of the things he's been researching is Harry's damaged hand. And also just Harry as a whole. And he's discovered some things about Harry and about wizards. Yes, Butters knows there are apparently 
wizards. You know, Harry is a professional wizard. So Butters has accepted that. And he's learned that Harry has some special physical traits. He's not just, okay, a magical wizard. He's different than the average human. One of those things he's found is that his body's cells don't seem to age like a typical person. The way the cells normally just deteriorate and break down over time don't seem to be happening in the blood draws, the samples that he's gotten from Harry, which would suggest he should have the ability to live a very long life. So apparently wizards can live very long. Yes, yes, they can. Uh, but Butters has confirmed that with science. Also connected to that is Harry's cells have a significant regenerative ability. I mean, that's why we slowly have normally our, our body just wearing out and cells dying. Well, they don't do that in Harry's body. They keep on going. And they actually can, if the cells get hurt, they can heal in unnatural ways. And what he takes that to is he shows an x-ray he'd taken of Harry's damaged hand and compares it different times he's taken it, and he can show, look, your hand is healing. Now, his hand is still totally messed up. He keeps a glove on it. It's very painful still, but it's slightly better. He, he can move it a little more than he used to. Well, Butters, again, medically, is confirming that, yes, it's healing. It shouldn't be able to heal, but because you have special qualities about you, Harry, it is healing, and there's reason to believe eventually, with enough time, your hand will be perfectly fine again. That's awesome news for Harry. Really a good pickup. All right, back to the reason he actually came. So, Butters, have you had any weird corpses show up lately? And yeah, there really hasn't been too much. Um, oh, but there is this one body. Turns out there's a guy who, who was killed in mysterious ways that's sitting here in the morgue. And they go to figure out what's up with this guy. This guy is one of uh, Johnny Marcone's guys. And uh, in doing the autopsy, exploring anything strange about this body, they find a USB drive inside the body. Now, Harry can't do anything with a USB drive. That's electrical. That's computer type stuff. Technology and wizards don't go well together. So Butters is going to hang on to the USB drive. Harry figures we've got to find some way to find out what's on that because that might be important. Before they can go any further with it, they're attacked. Barging into the room is Phil, the security guard. Um, we should note Phil is quite dead at this point. His neck's been slit. He doesn't look so good, but he's still moving. Welcome our first zombie to the story. This zombie is courtesy of Gravain, a necromancer who walks in with him, and a man, very old-looking, wizened guy that uh, kind of gets nicknamed by Dresden Liver Spots. Uh, and he's beating a beat. And this is the first example we see of how a beat, a rhythm, is keeping a zombie going. Well, Gravain is here because he wants something from Butters, from the body. And... Uh, Two plus two goes together pretty quick. He's looking for the USB drive. There is chaos. There's fighting. There's magic getting flung around. And Butters and Harry manage to get out. And they're being chased. They make it to the Blue Beetle. Remember, Harry's not so special car, but special to him. 
an old style, very beat up, much parts replaced Volkswagen bug. And they go driving off and zombie Phil chases them superhumanly fast, just about gets them. They manage to give him the slip. It's a tense and scary scene. Not good for zombies. We don't want zombies. All right. What can Harry do with Butters? Because Butters is clearly a target now. Well, he takes him to his apartment. Now, leaves him at his apartment under the protection of Thomas. Now, Thomas isn't actually home right then, but the apartment has wards and protections. And he says, Thomas will be by. Who's Thomas? My roommate. So Butters isn't told anything about Thomas, that he's actually Harry's brother, or goodness, that he's a vampire. Just, he's my roommate. He'll be by. Don't worry about him. Now, why is he leaving Butters? Because he's following up his next lead. And information that he has tells him that he needs to go look for a book. So he's going to a, a book place when you're looking for things on the supernatural and the occult called Bach Ordered Books. You know, Bach Ordered Books? Bach Ordered Books. The proprietor is Bach. And he's a guy who dabbles in the supernatural. He's not a wizard or anything, but he knows how to collect the things that are of interest. He has a special place in his bookstore for the occult, for the supernatural. So Harry's there to look for information on this particular book. And he does manage to find the book. And not on his own. He gets a little help. The help he gets is from this uh, young pretty clerk, uh, a lady named Sheila, Sheila Starr. She helps direct him towards the particular book he's looking for. It's a book on the Earl King and the Wild Hunt. I'll talk more about them a little later here. Let me just check my notes. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that a little later. Uh, but he had gotten from the information of the necromancer Gravain that this was something that he needed to get his hands on because the necromancer is going to want it too, so you better get it first. Okay, he's got the book. Before he can do anything with the book, he's just trying to get out of the store, he has a confrontation with another necromancer. This one named Cowl, who has an assistant necromancer, Kumori, with him. He manages to escape these two, just barely, using lots of magic and including a little extra magic on his part. Uh, rather than just the normal magic we've seen Harry use, his his staff glows with a uh, kind of a spiritual, supernatural fire and supercharges his spells. And a little bit of smell of brimstone is in the air. Okay, what the heck? We'll talk about what's happening there soon. But this little extra boost allows him to get away. But on his own, he still probably would have failed. The timely arrival of Billy, the alpha werewolf, is what makes the difference. Billy is able to cause a distraction, and the two of them are able to get away. Where do they go? Well, they go to Billy's home. He and his wife, Georgia, also a werewolf, take Harry in and just let Harry rest for a little bit. Harry overhears them talking about him, and they're concerned. He's been acting differently. He's been cutting himself off from his friends. They're worried about him, worried for him. It leads to a conversation where Harry actually opens up and says, you know, I have been different uh, the last couple of years. There's a reason. I've been struggling with something I did, uh, not on purpose. And he tells them about the coin 
that he got uh, way back in Death Masks, book five. Last Shield's coin, that fallen angel, the Denarian. If you remember, Nicodemus at the end of the book tossed a coin out right in front of little Harry Jr., Harry Carpenter. And before Harry could pick it up, Big Harry scooped it out and shoved it in his pocket. Now, just touching it, it, it turns out, has actually had an impact on Harry, an impact that seems to be growing. He's been having dreams in which Lashiel appears and tries to convince him to dig up the coin, to take on the full power of the Denarian, offers him power, wealth, special abilities, and he keeps resisting. But he's concerned because now this, this special magic stuff, this brimstone stuff, it turns out that's called Hellfire. It's the power of the Denarians, and it's starting to leak into Harry's own abilities. Also, we mentioned that burned hand of his. Okay, totally incinerated back in the day, except for one spot. Right on the palm, there's a, there's a perfectly healthy, clean spot that has on it a sigil, the sigil of Lashiel. He's clearly been impacted by this, this coin, but he hasn't been carrying the coin around. He's not doing stuff with the coin. He actually buried the coin under his lab, under his apartment, cemented it in, put a whole bunch of wards on it. He thinks he's done everything he can to keep it out of anyone's touch, keep it secret, keep it safe. And so it shouldn't be influencing him. And yet something's going on. He doesn't know why. Billy and Georgia are thankful and appreciative that he finally came out with the truth. And they're good friends. They just say, how can we help? And he really doesn't have much they can do for him. Uh, his response is, well, you could feed me. I'm really hungry. <laughs> okay, we can do that. Uh, but it is nice that he's he's kind of, he's been carrying this burden all this time. He has finally shared it with somebody. In the meantime, he plans to just keep on resisting. And as he can, he'll try to research. Is there anything he can do to undo whatever has been done to him just by that brief touch with the coin? Uh, excuse me, sip of a beverage. I get to enjoy my beverage more when Zach is on these with me or when I have another guest. When it's just me talking, I take a drink. It gets silent. But you got to forgive me. I do have to have a sip once in a while. Besides, it's really good. All right, let's continue with Harry's investigation. It leads him now to Mortimer Lindquist. You might remember Morty. He's the one who can talk to, talk to spirits. And if you are reviving the dead through necromancy, that involves perhaps the spiritual plane. Figures I'm going to go see if he can help me out. Any information? Well, Morty can't help him out too much, but he does reveal that there seems to be a thinning right now between the temporal plane and the spiritual plane, and it's leading to necromantic hotspots popping up all over Chicago. It's unsettling for the spirit world, which is why Morty knows about it. And he gives him a little information that leads him, leads Harry, to one of those hotspots, which actually happens to be the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. That is my favorite museum probably in the entire world. Now, I haven't been all over the world, but I've been all over the country and here in the United States. And hands down, the Field Museum is my favorite museum in the United States. I've been to Smithsonian's in Washington, D.C. I've been to other museums in different cities around the country. 
uh, field museum I love. Maybe it was because it was my first love. I grew up in Chicago uh, until the age of 12 and had a chance to visit the field museum multiple times, went back as an adult. It's a great place. And one of the things, one of the hallmarks it's known for when you first walk in is a full reconstructed skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, nicknamed Sue. It's been there right in the main hall, you know, as long as I remember. And uh, when Harry goes to visit the field museum, there's Sue. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I remember that, you know, so that was fun. But he's not there to see a dinosaur. He's there because it's a, it's a hot spot. So what can he learn by being there? And, oh, well, what does he find out? Coincidentally, the Chicago police are there. There's been a murder. Hmm. Connected? Maybe. He decides to poke around a little bit and go places he shouldn't go. And he does manage to get some information on what happened. A visiting professor, Dr. Bartlesby, was killed the night before. His two assistants, a uh, man and a woman, haven't been seen since. Coincidence? Or suspects? Hard to say. Maybe they've been kidnapped. Maybe something's happened to them. We don't know. The police are investigating all possibilities. What was Bartlesby there for? Well, he was working with arte artifacts from Cahokia. It's shocking to me how many people don't know what Cahokia is. But right in the heartland of the United States, near the Mississippi River, close to uh, where St. Louis, Missouri is now, there was a massive Native American civilization, indigenous civilization, long before the Europeans came over and discovered the New World. And it was called Cahokia. It was massive. There are all sorts of burial sites and mounds and relics that still exist in this area now. And you can go visit if you like. And yet people even living in St. Louis don't know Cahokia was a thing. It's, it's just really a shame. Google it. Look up Cahokia. Very interesting. Well, it's right here in the Dresden Files that some of those artifacts are at the Field Museum. And this traveling professor, Dr. Bartlesby, was, was investigating them and for some reason was killed. Well, what does this lead to? A dead end, perhaps? Harry's going to continue to try to figure out what's going on. And honestly, there are so many more little details in this book. And it, if I tried to cover it all, this would be a two and a half hour episode. So I'm going to try to tighten this up a little bit, hit some key points. Uh, one of them is that Harry continues to have run-ins with necromancers. Okay, we've already had two of them. There's going to be more. And he's finding these are all disciples of Kemmler. And they're all showing up here in Chicago because they're all after something that's going to happen here. And it's probably in this book of Kemmler. So we better find this book. The next attack he has uh, is a run-in with the corpse taker. A necromancer who can take corpses. We're not sure what that means at first. The corpse taker had been posing as one of the assistants of Bartlesby. And uh, that's how Bartlesby died. She and the other assistant are the ones that uh, were behind that, and they, they now attack Harry. Seeming to want to stop Harry. Maybe they want something Harry has. Harry's able to evade this attack only through the intentional use of Hellfire. Okay, it had been kind of happening on some of his spells now. This time he directly uses it. Takes advantage of the offer of Lashiel and uses Hellfire. Still, he only is kind of 
kind of holding off the attack of the corpse taker. And he only gets away because Marcone, General John, Gentleman John Marcone, and his bodyguard, guard, really tall Amazon type woman, are able to step in and get Harry out of there. You never want to owe a favor to Marcone. But Marcone does want Harry to kind of continue to work on what's going on because, again, it was one of his men that was in the morgue. So he's interested in seeing Harry be successful and trying to figure out what in the world's going on because my city, Chicago, is being messed up right now by these necromancers, okay? So do something about it. Back at Harry's apartment, he's attacked again by a necromancer. Uh, this time, the first one, Gravain and his buddy Liver Spots show up. Oh, and they bring a horde of zombies this time. Liver Spots banging on the drum. And they're all descending on Harry's apartment. Now, Harry's safe in his apartment, right? It's got all those wards. It's a secure facility. Well, it turns out if you throw enough zombies at anything, it will eventually fail. The door is literally getting bashed in. And Harry has no choice in the end to stop it by trading away the USB drive that Butters still had recovered from the morgue and was holding on to. By offering to give it, that at least stops the zombie attack. It doesn't mean they're safe. Because once they've given the drive away, probably the zombies are going to be turned back on to go after them. Well, before that can happen, Corpse Taker and her assistant, Li Jean, arrive. We're going to find out Li Jean later is actually a ghoul with abilities of his own. They go at Gravain and Liver Spots. So there's this battle between the different necromancer forces. Apparently they're not all on the same team. Necromancers are only out after themselves. Doesn't matter that they might all be disciples of Kemmler. Now they want to become the new Kemmler. They want the power. And while they're fighting it out, it does create the opportunity for Harry, Butters, and Thomas to get out. Uh, they escape. They flee to Murphy's home. Why Murphy's home? Well, as a true home... With years of history, it had been, you know, in the Murphy household uh, for a while. I believe it had been her grandmother's home way back when. Uh, it has a very powerful threshold. Harry had a threshold at his apartment, but he only rents the place. He hasn't lived there forever. The threshold was weaker. The threshold at Murphy's place should offer much better protection from the necromancers and their zombies. All right, that's their new temporary home base. Harry ends up going on to get more help from Sheila Starr again, that clerk who had worked back in the occult section of Bach ordered books. And with her help, determines how to call the Earl King and try to prevent him from playing a role in whatever the necromancers are up to, uh, which is just a little plot to become a god. I mean, a demigod, a small god. Now, all Harry does successfully in using this ritual to call the Earl King is to tick off the Earl King. Not a good thing. The Earl King doesn't seem to want to be cooperative and doesn't appreciate being bothered. Okay, who's the Earl King? Okay, the Earl King is a creature of the Fae. A fairy, okay? But a very powerful, wild Fae. The Earl King is the leader of the Wild Hunt. 
the wild hunt is some a whole bunch of fey creatures who come out and hunt things and if they are hunting you you're dead okay you're not gonna evade the wild hunt somehow the necromancers want to channel earl king and the wild hunt into something that they're going to do with their rituals and it won't be good for Chicago. It won't be good for the world. So Harry's like, the stuff's going on. I want you to stay out of it. I'm going to do this ritual thing. And yeah, it doesn't work the way Harry wants. And the Earl King now has a grudge against Harry. Great. Oh, by the way, I should mention here that it soon comes out that there is no Sheila star. Now, I'm happy to tell you that when I first read this and I put it out there, uh, on actual on my uh, Discord channel, I guessed this. Okay, before I got to this point, I'd seen it coming. There are hints in the book, so when you read it, maybe you did too. But I know a lot of other people they they don't see it coming until it's revealed. Sheila, it turns out, is just a figment of Harry's mind, or more specifically, Last Shield's mind. She's been a projection that only Harry could see. And when you go back and you look at the examples in the book of where Sheila Starr was involved, no one else is interacted with. And Harry is even accused or thought of that he's talking to himself or he's like talking to imaginary people. People are starting to look a little sideways at him because he's losing it. And he doesn't realize what's going on. And what's because he is talking to someone only he can see. Sheila. In fact... He's kind of got the hots for her. And they even kiss. And what? It, this is all stuff being done in his mind by Lashiel. Lashiel has been appearing in his dreams, trying to convince him to let her help him. And she does have a genuine interest in helping Harry. She explains this to him. It's not just he, she cares about Harry. It's that she wants to win Harry over so she can become free and be connected with him as a, a denarian. And that can't happen if he dies. So she definitely wants to see him succeed in the things he's getting him involved with, thus the hellfire that's leaking in. And since Harry was directly rejecting Lashiel's help, she created this Sheila star. Because Harry, you know, she knows Harry pretty well. She's living inside his head right now. He's got a thing for women. So, you know, hit Use the soft spot that Harry has. He doesn't see it coming. So Lashiel has been manipulating Harry to get her help through the creation of Sheila Star. This is really unsettling because it now teaches Harry Lashiel has the ability to actually change his perceptions. How can he know what's real around him? He's interacting with this woman. He kissed this woman. They almost had sex. And he felt this stuff. Well, he didn't really feel it. Feeling is just a nerve ending in your brain unless Sheila's manipulating that. Okay, that's that's pretty upsetting. We don't have much time to deal with this, though, because uh, things are escalating pretty quick now. We end up back at the Field Museum. And Harry discovers that what had been at the Field Museum, the USB drive had been pointing to it, it was the Book of Kemmler. Okay, and now the Kemlerites have their hands on it. There is a confrontation that takes place at the Field Museum when Harry's there to try to stop things. And his confrontation is with liver spots. Now, i got to explain this a little bit. Liver spots, you know, the drum beater for Gravain, the necromancer. Well, liver spots is a wizard as well. 
but not a necromancer. He's the former vessel of one of those denarians, the fallen angel. He had actually confronted liver spots. His real name is Quintus Cassius, who goes all the way back to Roman times. He was made immortal by his connection with a fallen denarian. And he lost it back in the previous uh, book when we were dealing with this, uh, with the denarians. That's way back at, rack my brain here, book four. I don't, didn't put that in my note, but, you know, I think it's book four where we get all of the Knights of the Cross introduced and and the Nicodemus and all that stuff with the Denarians. It might have been book five. Sorry. But he was the one that they got some information out of and was left with broken arms and broken legs and, and had his coin taken away. He's been aging rapidly now. This is why he doesn't look like he did before. This is why Harry hadn't recognized him. And his goal is A, get revenge on Harry, and B, get the coin back or any old coin. So he knows Harry has LaShiel's coin and he wants that coin because if he can get another coin back, he can regain his power. There is a big battle there and liver spots. Cassius is actually coming out on top when butters comes to the rescue. Okay. At the field museum, Harry had arrived with butters and mouse in the car. And Harry tells Butters and Mouse to stay in the car while he goes in the field museum. Yeah, well, they didn't listen. They followed, and it turned out to be a good thing. So Butters is able to hit Cassius, and then Butters gets hit by Cassius. But it, it gives a break for Harry for a moment. And then, before Cassius can turn back and try to kill Harry, Mouse appears. Rah! Massive dog! Attacks uh, liver spots and Cassius ends up dying as a result. Mouse doesn't, you know, Mouse is a key player in seeing this happen. But as Cassius dies here, he utters his his death curse on Harry. Because Harry's the focus, the target. Uh, we learned before when wizards die and, and it's happening and they have the ability, they can issue a death curse, a final burst of magic. His death curse is Harry has two words die alone. What does that mean? Nothing happens to Harry. There's a real implication, though. Something's going to happen. And at, at its simplest, he'll die alone. Well, we'll see where that goes. Not in this book. All right, so now he comes to understand uh, the Book of Kemmler has revealed to necromancers what they need to do to go through the ritual. And he now knows where this ritual is taking place. He's got to get there. He also knows he's outgunned. Okay, These necromancers one-on-one -on -one with him have been too much for him. He needs help. So he makes an emergency call to the wardens, the police department of the White Council. And he says, there's necromancers in Chicago. They're about to do something really bad. Get over here and help me. The wardens are calling in the guns. Harry now is going to also head over to try to do what he can to stop the ritual. But he needs more than just he can do with him and Butters and Mouse. And Mouse is a little sore right now from the confrontation he just had. So here's the thing. In his research, in what he's been doing, and with the help of Lashiel in his head, Harry now does know necromancy. 
He's decided the ends justifies the means, and he's going to use necromancy right now for a very specific purpose. And, you know, kind of channeling what he knows about Blackstaff McCoy. There can be a time to do the wrong thing for the right reason. He uses necromancy, and he, and he raises Sue the Dinosaur. Awesome! Harry mounts up, butter on his back. Butters is banging his polka drum <laughs> to keep powering this dinosaur who's not just bones now, is actually revived as a zombie dinosaur. And they head out of the Field Museum. They come upon a warden, Ramirez. Warden out from East L.A., kind of a cool guy who really kind of looks at Harry as next level. Ramirez is one of the younger wardens. So we've met Warden Morgan, who hates Harry, thinks Harry's bad news, would like to see uh, Harry stopped. Uh, Ramirez, younger guy, he looks up at Harry as the guy who doesn't take the garbage from the White Council. The guy who's willing to stand up for his convictions and do what's right, even when it's hard. There's a little hero worship going on between Ramirez and Harry. So Harry gets Ramirez up on the dinosaur with him, and now they're all headed off. And just picture this, this ride, this wild, mad ride through the streets of Chicago. Harry, Ramirez, Butters riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex. What a vision. What an image. They do make it. Okay, they make it to the spot where this ritual is going on, and, and here's all the necromancers kind of fighting each other to try to come out on top and do the ritual. Well, and then Harry enters, and he starts battling, and oh, hey, the other wardens show up, and they start battling as well, and there are some casualties. There are things that happen here. Process it down to its shortest point. Cowl is the one that comes out on top, one of the necromancers that he's battled along the way. Cowl has also along the way stolen Bob, the spirit of intellect, and turned him back to Blue Bob. This is part of how Cowl has come out on top because he's got the actual instrument of knowledge and power that Kemmler had used. Harry is ma manages to flip Bob back to good because he knows more about Bob than Cowell does, and will thankfully be able to have Bob's help because Cowell is more powerful with necromancy. He makes it so this unbelievable asset that Harry brought to the battle, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, is neutralized, and Bob is freed by Harry and goes into Sue. Bob becomes a dinosaur. And Bob is able to use that again to turn things for the good and help Harry distract Cowl in the midst of the massive ritual that's going to turn him into a god. Well, when you're using that kind of powerful magic and you get distracted, bad things happen. The magic basically backlashes onto Cowl instead of going where he wanted it to go. And Cowl goes, no more Cowl. Well, lots of Cowl. Little bitty pieces all over Chicago. <laughs> it's, uh, so Cowl is gone. What about the other necromancers? They've been killed. In a final battle, Corpse Taker is killed by Lucio, the head of the Wardens. So real badass. Unfortunately, 
Corpse Taker, we learn, has the ability to move into other bodies. So as Lucio stabs her, she swaps bodies with Lucio. So now Lucio is in Corpse Taker's dying body. And Corpse Taker is in Lucio, posing as the head of the Wardens. Harry manages to realize what has happened and kills Lucio. Well, really Corpse Taker, but it's Lucio's body. He kills Lucio's body. And Corpse Taker's dead. Just as that's happening, down old Morgan, you know, Warden Morgan, sees it. And what does he see? He sees Harry killing his boss. And he's like, I knew it. I knew it all along. You were evil. They should have listened to me. Now I'm going to do what needs to be done. And he's going to kill Harry. And then Lucio stops him. Uh, not dead body Lucio. Corpse takers. Dying body, which turns out isn't quite dead yet. And with the help of Ramirez is coming over saying, stop. I'm Lucio. And she explains what had happened. And so Harry had actually saved all of them by killing her body, killing Corpse Taker. Whew. It's a wild finish at the end of this book. There is one last little thing that happens, and that is that book of Kemmler. Oh, it's it's gone. It's missing. Nobody knows what happens to it. Yeah, Harry's got it. And he delivers it in a private meeting at the end of the story to Mavra just as he was blackmailed to do. The White Council does not know this, and if they did, he'd be in big trouble. But when he delivers it to Mavra, he makes it real clear. I'm done with you, and you're done with me. If I see anything of you, or if you come at any of my friends again, I will accept the promises and offers of Lashiel, the denarian I have. I will go full evil, Harry Dresden, and I will come and destroy you. And she believes him. She's out. Does Harry mean it? Ah, that's one of the things we're left to wonder. So, final thoughts on this book. Harry's got a problem with this Denarian thing. Lachiel uh, is in his head. How? Well, it's not really Lachiel. Lachiel's in a coin buried in the ground, but somehow... An aspect, a part of Lashiel, has infected Harry and is clearly corrupting him, is doing things to him, is changing him. Can he resist? Can he stop it? We don't know. He just promised to go ahead and use it if he needs to. Wow, that's a real temptation. Will something come along that sets him over that edge at some point and he goes full denarian? To be seen. Oh, and what happens when Michael Carpenter finds out, you know, the Knight of the Cross, who's all about getting those denarians stopped? Will he see Harry as an enemy? Hmm. And what about Harry's relationship with the Wardens now? Has he proven himself finally as a good guy? That he can be trusted? Is this interaction he had and calling them in and working on their side and, and actually saving the day at the end with that bit with Lucio... Is he now going to have a different relationship with them? Will the Wardens leave him alone? Will the Wardens like him? Ramirez seems to. We'll have to watch that. Uh, the last thing I'd shout out here is simply Butters and Mouse. They're awesome. I'm glad we got a lot more of both of these characters here. And I'm happy to tell you there is more to come.
But that's all we're going to talk about from the Dresden Files today. Thank you for joining me as we chatted about all of this. And I'm going to play my outro song for us now. Song? That was weird to call it, but it's my outro stuff. It puts in here again the reminder of the ways that you can communicate with me, with my son, with Fantasy for the Ages. And if you join us in Discord, as is showing here now on the screen and is in our show notes, you can interact with all our other fans too. We'd love to see you there, as well as seeing you interacting with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and perhaps even become a patron of ours on Patreon and jump in on a live recording sometime. All tiers of our supporters are welcome in the live recordings. All right, it's been fun. We'll talk to you next time.